All right. All right. He's ringing in right now, I think. Good morning. Hey. How's it going? Morning. How's it going? It's about seven o'clock in the morning down there, isn't it? Yeah, mate, seven in the morning. Oh, uh, man, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you getting up early to do this stuff. I know you're on the other side of the world. You're already on Friday. He's already he's already a day ahead of us. He's already accomplished more than we have. Right? Time in the morning. Drug him out of this one. <laughs> uh, now I've got, uh, got two young boys up at around 530, so. Oh, uh, yeah. It's been up for a while for you at this point. <laughs> yeah, already had a already had a cup of coffee, so I'm yeah, good to go. Good. I got I got four little ones myself, man. You never sleep with a little kid. It's good stuff. Hey, um, I've got you know, and I just got some, you know. First, I'm just going to introduce a little bit because a lot of the folks listening to this are, are Americans. They don't they don't know what the hell rugby is, which is a shame. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going, to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about that stuff, and uh, just kind of you know kind of give us a background on that stuff, and then we'll get into into whatever you want to talk about. I've got a couple kind of pre-planned questions I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna be a little bit selfish you know because i used to i used to do that stuff and live in your part of the world for a while i got to run around a little bit with uh, some of these rugby guys down in new zealand and so it's kind of a neat experience um first of all you know one of the things i saw you know just just this is something that people are really fascinated with they don't even know anything about rugby but it's something that i'm sure you're obviously you're intimately familiar with is, is the haka which is a you know, it's a, it's a Maori cultural sort of, you know, chant, you know, and it's got a lot of cultural significance, but you guys do that for all your international matches. And, you know, the Hawkeyes perform for various other, you know, sort of uh, culturalistic re reasons, sometimes with with uh, weddings and stuff like that. And I know there's a couple of different versions, probably the most famous one, at least I think so, is probably the one you call the, the Kamate one, which I think translates means you're going to die. We're basically going to kill you or something like that, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, so... And so one of the things, you know, when we talk about sports in general, uh, you know, there's a, there, there's a concept of arousal, you know, and if you're going to do a big power lift, I mean, if you're going to pull a deadlift, you know, you want to be maximally aroused. That's why guys are sniffing ammonia. They're just kind of just jacking up their arousal level. Whereas if you're doing something like Zach does, and Zach's one of these crazy guys that goes out and runs 100 miles, he doesn't want to be jumped, jacked up on adrenaline. So it's kind of more of a more just gentle state of arousal. But my, my sort of thought is, you know, the hockey is very – stimulating mentally it gets you ready for the game and, I, and i'm sure if you have a good haka you know if you're really just you know getting it and you feel that emotion going you probably play better i guess is there anything to that or am i just making this stuff up what, what's going through your mind when you're in there yelling at the, at the french athletes that we're going to kill you you know what, what, what's going, what's going on there uh yeah i can see i can see both points you know um i can definitely see they're getting jacked up for a deadlift and a squad and um zach's point of uh, being nice and relaxed because uh, obviously he's got to run for a long time and it's the same with rugby uh, you know you've got a lot of nervous energy and, and you're a bit anxious uh, for me I like the haka for just uh, just getting it out there and you know once I'm done doing it I sort of feel okay I'm ready to play now other guys really take it to another level and get really jacked up but um, I'm probably leaning a little bit more towards Zach you know I I pay the respect it deserves because it is a big part of New Zealand culture, but then I really try to um, sort of get in my zone and, and be emotionless and, and get on with the game. But, um, yeah, it, is, it definitely does get you pumped up. You know, it's, uh, yeah, if you translate the words, it's something like, you know, we're ready for war, come come at us, and we're going to come at you sort of thing. So, um, and it's done, you know, you learn it. Uh, when you're in high school and you play your first 15 rugby games and you do it right through to, uh, and obviously when you're in the All Blacks, it's sort of the pinnacle of rugby. So, um, yeah, it definitely gets guys jacked up, that's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, just, just talking about the pinnacle of rugby, for you guys that don't know that, the New Zealand All Blacks are the winningest athletic team in history of sport. For the last 100 years, they've got something like a – correct me if I'm wrong, on you've got like a, something like a 77% win record over 100 years in the last decade or two. It's been something like 90% of your matches you guys win. You've won three of the last eight World Cups. You guys won the last two back-to-back. In fact, you're one of the few players that's won two World Cups, if I'm not mistaken. I think you – well, you're about one of about 20 people that have won two World Cups. Uh, you're one of the most capped props in, in New Zealand history. I think you're the second most capped prop in New Zealand, New Zealand history. I don't know who the – you probably know who the, the, the highest capped guy is. But, uh, yeah. you know, so, he, so when we're talking about pinnacle, you know, Owen is at the absolute pinnacle of this sport. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the finest players, you know, in history of, of, of this sport and pretty much any sports. And so it's pretty pretty honored to have you here on the show. Um I did, a, I did a little quick research on rugby physiology. You know, can we talk about what goes into records? People were always asking me what kind of sports may benefit from what types of diet. And from, from, a, from a standpoint, there was a study in 2010 looking at elite rugby players. I think it was in the Super League. I think it was a South African study. And so we have to, for the New Zealand athletes, we probably have to add 10% to this because they're, they're this, you know, compared to the South African athletes. I'm sure Tim Oates and those guys are going to grab at me for this. But, you know, uh, from a physiologic standpoint, you know, a, and, you're, and you're in the forward positions, and, and Owen will probably tell you the forwards work a lot harder than the backs do. The backs are back there out there combing their hair and stuff like that where you guys are doing all the work. But, uh, yeah, you sure know, it's the same in football. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, they basically will run anywhere between five and seven uh, kilometers per match. You know, this is an 80-minute match, so you're running around the whole time. You're expending more calories than an average person does in a, in a half marathon, you know, and it's, it's, it's about 25% higher than the guy does on a soccer match, you know, so it's quite a bit of just, you know, exercise. You, on average, a forward will be engaged in 300 collisions per game, and 70 of those will be at 8 Gs, you know, eight, eight times the force of gravity. And that, you know, if you look at, from a physiologic standpoint, pilots will pass out after about 5G, so you're, you're withstanding so much G-force with about 70 collisions per game. You know, pilots so use, impressive. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing, you know, because you see those big guys, those big bodies, these, you know, 120-kilo guys are smashing into each other, and, you know, like a, like a fighter pilot will have to wear a G-suit if he, if he sustains that level of G-forces for more than a few seconds, so that's why the pilots wear their G-suits, because they hit, they'll hit something like 8 to 9 Gs in a, in a, in a really uh, fast turn, so we've got this tremendous tremendous physiology going on not not only the fact that you're you know you're basically in a wrestling match and all the tight work you know in the scrums and the rucks and the malls you know and so you're doing all that stuff so it's tremendous tremendous physiology going on i mean it's it's you know for you guys that haven't seen it or done it it's a lot of work to be in a rugby match and certainly at, at the level that owns playing at. so it's pretty amazing stuff um zach i'm gonna let you jump in here or Owen, if you have any commentary on this stuff please yeah please no, it's uh it's, uh, yeah, it's quite cool hearing the science and the physiology behind it. It definitely makes sense. Um, uh, from my standpoint, I was, I've had about sort of seven months off and um, only the last five weeks I've been playing. But those first few weeks waking up on Sunday morning, it's like, man, you saw in places where you don't even know how that place got sore. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, but you're right. You know, you got the scrummaging and as a top forward, you're getting off the ground and there's a lot of collisions and then you're expected to run you know, across the field, 50, 60 metres, and it's a it's a funny game. You go from doing some really explosive actions, um, but then you've got to run for quite a bit, and, you know, the game slows down a little, so it really is all over the show. And, uh, yeah, your body um, your body tells you you've definitely been in a tough match today, I think. I'm fascinated with, with the sport of 
like, you know, especially sports like rugby, soccer, American football, where it seems to be kind of that, that middle zone where, like, yeah, you're not running a marathon or ultra marathon, and you're also not doing, like, an event like Sean that's, like, 60 seconds in length. You're kind of in that, that area between there, so you kind of have to really be fine-tuned on both sides of those worlds uh, and kind of find that, that perfect medium. So, uh, like, I think that's, uh, that's the interesting thing to me about that and what I think a lot of times happens is people watch these matches, whether it's, like, you know, a 60-minute football game or a 80-minute rugby game match, uh, and they, they see that part, but they don't see what's kind of going on to kind of get ready for that type of an event. So, like, I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear, like, what does, like, a typical, like, training uh, cycle look like for you in terms of, like, what, what are you doing kind of at the end of a season as you start to build up for the next season, and then how does your workouts kind of change as you get into the thick of it and things like that? Yeah, well, rugby is a funny one because it's, uh, you know, the season, within a season, you know, you could potentially play two or three <laughs> mini seasons. Like at the moment, I'm in a competition called uh, Super Rugby and that's played with uh, with Australia and South Africa and Argentina and Japan. And we have conferences, four conferences, a little bit like NFL and you play games within that and then there's a lot of travel. Um, and then once that finishes, it's, uh, it's the all-black season. And and guys who don't make the All Blacks, then they play a provincial um, season, which Sean will be aware of the NPC. So yeah, you don't uh, you get a lot of you get some mini breaks in the season, but really you get probably eight to twelve weeks at, at the end. So you know some guys are different. Rugby's only been professional for oh, 15, 20 years. So there's still a bit of the mindset, you know, it's um, the season's over. I'm just going to go lie on the beach for for a couple of months. <laughs> And um, which makes it hard on those guys coming back, or you can sort of, you know, take a couple of weeks off and and start to slowly get prepared for the next season, which is what me and my brother have, um, have always done since we were young. So yeah, we would start out um, once the season's done, have a week or two off, and then try to get some good strength strength back in the gym um, is usually the main priority. Being a scrummager, you know, it's really really important to be strong first and foremost. And then, uh, you know, so sort of probably really focus on that for a month or so and then start bringing in the power and strength and then obviously getting into the conditioning quite hard before the season before the season starts back up. And, um, you know, for my job, it's getting off the ground, short sprints, uh, agility is really important. Um, so we've always done like a, a lot of Metcon workouts at, at the end of our training sessions, you know, really short hits instead of... In um, rugby, you know, the... I guess what everyone's always done because it's sort of, like I said, only been professional for 20 years, but most guys' pre-season training, uh, I guess, will be, you know, to go for a long, slow run. And um, so I guess coming to the professional wage now, guys are getting smarter with their training and, you know, realising that the short, intense workouts are the best, you know, mixed with your strength and condition. Hey, Owen, you, it's kind of interesting because you and I share a mutual friend, a guy named Ed Cosner. Ed was a Highland Games athlete, and I used to compete with him, and I know he's done some training with you and your brother, and I know he, he's very big on, you know, the strength training, Olympic lifting and stuff like that. And so tell me, just like, what does your off-season weightlifting workout look like? And, and as you know, I, I do a little bit of the rowing stuff, and I think that I know there's a lot of rugby guys who will use some of the rowing machines and some of the skiers and stuff like that. Do you, do you incorporate any of that stuff into your training? Yeah, no, I do, sir. 
Man, my workouts pretty much stay the same the whole year. It's just the, the rep ranges and, and for how long I do it. So at the moment I'm in season, like my typical Monday will be lower full body strengths. Uh, it will always be, um, you know, power clean, uh, round twos and threes, um, squats, um, hamstring, good mornings, um, pulls. Uh, Tuesday will be an upper body strength based day. So, you know, your typical upper body stuff, bench, pull up, uh, rows, presses. And then Thursday, heading into a game is uh, sort of lower the weight a little and, and try and move things really fast. So, Olympic lifting base again, I'll do some snatch and some light pulls and then a little bit of bodybuilding to keep keep some armor on during the season. So, um, yeah, yeah, as you know, uh, there's no magic pill to strength training. You know, the, the, the basic, well, the exos, tried and true exercises are the ones that work, work best, so that's what we've always done. And, yeah, um, it's, it, yeah, it's... It, 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 Oh, go ahead. Hang on. Oh yeah, no, and 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 it's the same, you know. The, um, his training's always been the same, and and we first met him in 2011 when Ben brought him out uh, to New Zealand to prepare for the 2011 World Cup. So uh, yeah, no, we've got a good relationship with it. Yeah, it's 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 amazing that you know the, the basic stuff, you know, squats, deadlifts, cleans, you know, doing them over and over again, and what works, and all these little fancy routines that everybody comes up with. I kind of laugh when I see all the people doing this stuff. I'm like, you're kind of wasting your time. But you know, it's nice to see that the top level, the the, the basics continue to work, and that's that's really neat. Let me ask you about injuries. I know you were you were recovering from an Achilles tendon injury, I guess, late last season, and I would imagine at your level, you know, you're most of the players on the field are dragging around some type of minor injury or niggly injury, you know, season around, and you're kind of just managing that throughout the year. Is that, has that kind of been your experience? Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, uh, I've been lucky enough that I've only had two surgeries in my whole career, and one was right before it was kicking off. I dislocated and ruptured my elbow, and, uh, and then the Achilles surgery last year. But like you said, my Achilles was – I didn't have a rupture. It was just something – that started as a niggle and it slowly got worse and worse over three to four years. And I don't know if it was any specific thing. I think it was just a, an accumulation of the constant running load mixed with scrummaging. It's um, it's a really funny combination because, you know, scrummaging, as you know, you put a shit ton of force through your, through your feet, but then you've got to run and be explosive. So I think it was just wear and tear. And, uh, yeah, sort of. Um, got to the stage where I was having to take a heap of painkillers to try train and it still wasn't sort of dulling the pain and it started to affect my performance. So that's uh, pretty much when I said to the doctor, <laughs> you know, I've got to do something about this because it's, uh, yeah, it's starting, starting to affect my rugby. So, um, no, but NZRU, New Zealand Rugby Union, have actually been awesome, gave, gave me as long as I needed to get them both healthy and, um, yeah, it's definitely paid dividends now. It's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I have seen, and I guess we can touch on, on a little bit of this, because one of the reasons, you know, you know, we kind of came into contact is because, you know, this crazy carnivorous diet that I started and, you know, on and, and was on Joe Rogan's show, and a lot of people kind of found it. And I don't know how you, what made you decide to do this, but I know you said that you, you'd, you'd experimented with that earlier, like in December, and, and, and you noticed that you were getting stronger and leaner. And, and bigger and, and things were going well and I'm, I'm not sure if you're still still pursuing that but you know, did you feel that it's helped with your injury recovery I mean I know a lot of people have talked to me and they say that they feel like they heal quicker and that they're also maybe a little bit more durable which I th certainly think would be 
an asset, you know, on the rugby field where, where injuries are kind of the rule rather than the exception. So if you want to, do you want to comment on that stuff a little bit on? Yeah, definitely. No, uh, like most other people, I assume, I, I listen to Joe Rogan and um, it just made a lot of sense to me because I was doing the, the keto diet before and I, uh, I actually got a little sick of it because it kind of felt like you were trying to, uh, you're still trying to eat the way you were before, but you were cutting out your carbs. Like, for example, you would cut out, uh, you know, you're not eating potatoes and root vegetables and stuff, but you're eating like broccoli and cauliflower. And so it felt like you were just trying to replace the last diet before. And I actually had really good success with it, but because I've been doing it for about a year, got a lot of sick of it. And I listened to your podcast, and it just made a lot of sense for me to to fill up on meat first and foremost, and then kind of. Uh, whatever I wanted to add, as you say, after it was just taste, um, you know, because before you would, you would have a little bit of meat and I always thought, oh, I shouldn't eat more than 300 grams of protein and the rest should be some uh, salad and, and veg and that, whereas now it's um, probably around six to 700 grams of meat and if I can be bothered having some salad, I might um, for some taste. But, <laughs> but uh, I've had wicked success with it and um, with the recovery, yeah, like I've been cap- recovering really well but the funny thing was I think I mentioned to you I had some stem cell treatment um, and at the time I was doing the carnivore carnivore diet and when they harvested my stem cells and sent them away to Melbourne to grow um, they just said oh, the rate that they grew it was off the charts but I've never, never seen it <laughs> never seen them grow like that before and they do a, a shit ton of athletes in, in Melbourne so that was kind of uh, you know I kind of knew something was definitely going on but um like you said, my body mass index is really, like, I've leaned up, like, a lot, but my weight stayed the same. It's funny. People say, oh, should, should you look and lean, <laughs> which would have been a warning sign to me before. Um, but, uh, yeah, my weight stayed the same. Stayed around 120 kilos. My skin folds, and I'm sure if you were skin folds, but uh, consistently under 100 now, whereas before they would fluctuate between sort of 110 to 120, even up to 130. Um and it, yeah, it's just been really consistent. You know, I hold less water. Um, just my weight's been consistent. Strength is always good. So yeah, I've had, I'm definitely still doing it. I'm a big believer. <laughs> so so yeah, and again, I think you know we can go back, and I think there's just all kinds of historical accounts of you know these these sort of warriors just eating a bunch of meat and then killing everybody, and it kind of goes with you know doing a hot dog. <laughs> there. But, you, know, you know, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go eat a pig, and then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna, then I'm gonna go kill your village, but. You know, it's yeah, it's it's yeah. very it's it's very interesting because you know I, I I agree with that about the ketogenic diet. Is a lot of people they are they're trying to substitute a potato with cauliflower rice, and it doesn't. First of all, it doesn't taste as good. And I think one of the reasons we you know some of these other foods we have in our diet are just for energy. I mean, it really is. And I think you're trying to get energy, and you know we try to substitute fats for carbohydrates on a ketogenic diet. And I think getting it in the form of meat is is probably the ideal way to do that. And I think that's why a lot of people are having success with that. Um, do you, did you find, because I know you said you do a lot of conditioning and, you're already, and you've already started your season, so I know you played uh, a couple of, you know, club, I know you've done a couple of club level matches. I don't know how much you've played so far. What, how, how did it affect your actual conditioning? Because I see a lot of people where the strength is fine. In fact, most people are telling me their strength is going through the roof on the diet. But as far as hard conditioning work and then how you're performing on the field so far, how has that been for you? Yeah, it hasn't affected me at all. Uh, you know, I feel... I feel, I feel great uh, when I wake up in the morning and I have say six, seven hundred grams of steak and, and a couple of eggs. I find I'm not really 
hungry until one or two in the afternoon. Whereas if I went back a couple of years before uh, the keto, or even on the keto diet, I found, you know, I'd get an hour into a field session and my tummy's grumbling and I'd feel like I need something. So, you know, you grab the nearest thing really just to get some energy. And um, I think you've got to be careful too. Like when you start playing rugby, you've got all the, those other feelings that can make you feel like uh, your conditioning's not great, for instance. For example, adrenaline and uh, nervousness. So it's about gauging whether it's just that or your conditioning actually is poor. And for me, it was uh, once I got those first two games out of the way and was comfortable with, with where I was at, uh, you know, my fitness has never felt better. And um, the last, I played two club games and I've now played three sort of professional games for, uh, for the Crusaders, which is my franchise team. And, um, yeah, um, really pumped with the way the season started. Awesome. When, when is – because I know, you know, the New Zealand selectors will select the teams, you know, I don't know when that when that sort of – sort of when they start looking at you. Do you know if that's if that's happening yet? Or what are your thoughts on, on getting, you know, making selection for New Zealand All Blacks? I think you were, were you off last year due to injury? And and, and you've got to compete – obviously you got to compete every year to, to be on the team. And how, how does that play out for you? Yeah, so the All Blacks is um, – it's kind of new, unique how they, they select the squad um, three times during the year. So you have your June series, which is coming up soon against France, and then the competition called the Rugby Championship, which is against South Africa, Australia, and Argentina, and then an India tour where you go over to Europe and play those European teams. So yeah, selection's coming up soon, but um, they have camps all the way through Super Rugby, so they get the squad together and get everyone on the same page. So I've been involved with those. So, uh, I don't want to jinx myself because there's probably been a lot of guys who have thought, uh, you know, they're going to make the team and then they don't because it can, <laughs> selection for the All Blacks can be quite brutal. But, um, yeah, I'd like to think I'm, I'm heading in, in the right direction and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, going well. When, especially when you explain kind of your, your, I guess, trajectory towards trying out, like, the carnivore diet. And, like, your experience, like, kind of mapped mine pretty closely in terms of just the way I started viewing you know, vegetables and, you know, meats and those sort of things. And I think it's, it is just kind of like the, the general assumption, I think, for most people where, like, if, well, if I'm going to take away this, I need to add something else. So they, like you said, they, you add like broccoli or salad or something instead of that extra potato. And um, rather than looking at it like, let's get the right amount of meat in first. And then if I'm still hungry and I want some of the vegetables that are non-starchy, then maybe try some of that. And what I noticed is when I kind of switched that mindset, rather than using vegetables as like a vehicle for fat to try to get in as the right amount of fat, I started using them a lot more sparingly. And I mean, just, just from the terms of just digesting it, it seemed just a lot more you know, gentle on my digestive tract in terms of being able to kind of not necessarily feel like overly full, but feel content or satiated. And then you just don't get these weird like digestive issues or... Um, or having these weird hunger pangs and stuff like that throughout the day. You just kind of, you eat because you know you, you need to eventually, but you're never really a slave to your food at that point. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, um, yeah, it's, it's so simple, you know. Uh, you know, and just cutting out the supplements and stuff as well, because when I was on the keto diet, I was still taking a lot of whey protein and amino acids and, and um, fish oils and all the rest of it. And, 
you know, like before training, I'd have, have some whey protein and put oil on that, and you, you were just constantly downing fat. Um, and, and to me, it's just made a lot of sense just to, like I said, just fill up on, on really good quality meat and train train hard, and then when I'm hungry, just, just do it again. And I've, I've just found I'd, um, I'd get through three kind of big meals a day, probably dinner's my biggest, um, and I wake up in the morning, I uh, have dinner around 6.37, wake up in the morning around 5.36. I'm not even really hungry, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> I've just got to eat again because I know I've got a big training coming up. And if I've got a really big day of training, like sort of a double session or anything like that, I'll boil some eggs and take that to training or um, take some uh, biltong, which is, uh, you know, jerky. Um, but, yeah, just cutting out all the all the needless supplements and, uh, you know, just being a slave to that has uh, been really I'm not being a slave to that. It's been real, really awesome. Hey, Owen, I got a, just a couple of things. One, you know, when, when, I don't know. When I lived in New Zealand, you know, and I was down there playing in the Waikato, uh, you know, I was, it was like lamb. I mean, it was like lamb, roast lamb and kumara was a thing, man. Uh, are you getting a lot of lamb in there? I know there's, you know, New Zealand's got so many lamb and only a few people. It's like 60 million sheep and 3 million people. Is that a big part of the diet? And then the other question is, what do you do with electrolytes? Because I, I have found personally, and I know a lot of people are talking to me about that they find that if they kind of hit up some electrolytes, even just a glass of salt water before training, that seems to, to, to be effective. Have you played with that or found any experience with that? And then the last question is, you know, when you're on the, you know, I'm, I'm sure when, you know, the All Black team has a whole host of, you know, trainers and, and you know, physios and, and nutritionists. What is, a, what is the nutritional philosophy of the All Blacks? Because there was rumors that, you know, you guys were pretty much a low-carb team. Is there any truth to that or is that just speculation? Do we have some vegans on the All Black team? You know, what's, what's going on with all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, first of all, yeah, eat a decent amount of lamb. Uh, <laughs> this is big in New Zealand. I actually like lamb mince the best. It's really nice. It's got quite a bit of fat through it. And, uh, you know, you fry that up, it's uh, it's pretty good. And there's a, there's a place in Christchurch here where uh, – you can go in and pick up a whole tray of lamb. Um, it comes with potatoes, so I'll buff that out, but <laughs> you can pretty much take a whole leg of lamb home, and it's pretty cheap. It's like 10 bucks or something. Uh, so what was the second question again? Oh, just, just about electrolytes. Oh, electrolytes, yeah. I did try that. I got like this, uh, it was sort of basically a salt solution where you put sort of 20 drops in your water um, every day because I saw that on... Uh, <laughs> where you get all the info on from on Instagram, but uh, I can't say I noticed a huge uh, a huge difference. You know, I haven't. You know, I put a decent amount of salt on my on my steak in the morning and at lunch and stuff. So no, I haven't. just water's fine. Um, the last one, yeah, no, the All Blacks. Uh, we're pretty lucky. In the All Blacks. I've got a I've got a really good budget, and they put uh, a lot of that into food and nutrition. Um, not, not everyone's on the low carb, but um, our trainer, a guy called Nick, Nick Gill, is, uh, he's actually an Ironman athlete, and he's uh, pretty close with a guy in New Zealand called Grant Schofield, which I think he's a big uh, proponent of the low carb, high fat diet. So, yeah, there is quite a lot of that in the All Blacks. If you look in the All Blacks sort of fridge or our team room, um, you know, there's heaps of cold cuts of meat, uh, lots of nuts, avocados. Um, all the good stuff, basically. So, no, the All Blacks are really forethinking in their nutrition. And I catch up with the All Blacks nutritionist, um, Kat Derry, sort of every three or four weeks and tell her exactly what I'm doing, you know, eating 
<laughs> Joe down on stake every day, and uh, now she's got got no problem with it. I get a lot of messages on Instagram, you know, saying, "Oh, what are you, what are you nutritionists think?" Blah blah blah, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're pretty open, and, um, and you know, my skin folds uh, have been really good since so she's happy. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really wor worried for the rest of the, the world if you guys all in, in mass start taking up with this big, uh, you know, eating a bunch of meat all day long because then no one's going to stand a chance. Won't even, might as well just skip having a World Cup, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, no, there's not any, there's not any vegans in the All Blacks, but uh, there is one in the Crusaders, and um, it was around the time of that, um, oh, that propaganda video coming out on Netflix around, uh, you know, Eating eggs is like smoking cigarettes and blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. You, you turn up the dinner and guys would have a whole plate of veggies, and I was like, "Man, what are you guys up to?" And it's, uh, if you're not seen that video on Netflix, you know, it's, uh, eating eggs is like smoking cigarettes. I'm like, "Oh shit, I've been a chain smoker my whole life." Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you, have, you have lung cancer running around the field. Just so it's, you're just kind of hanging on by a thread, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So there's a handful of guys who were. Sort of saying, oh, I'm only going to eat red meat once a week and onto fish and stuff. But um, I think once they forgot about the video, it fizzled out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, that type of stuff's always interesting to me when you see those comparisons of like red meat to cigarettes and stuff like that. And you know, I, I dug into that a little bit, and you know, one thing I think, at least here in in America, that was going on with some of that was, you know, we spent a few decades kind of demonizing red meat. So then, like, essentially, people who were health conscious in the sense that they would like dig into like what was being recommended they would see like oh red meat's bad for me i'll avoid that and then the people who just didn't care would continue to eat red meat but they also didn't care about all kinds of other things like smoking cigarettes and drinking too much and just not exercising so then you get this this kind of like combination of the people who are eating the red meat are also the ones that typically are doing these other negative things so then of course they're going to have negative side effects down the road but now that I think, what I'll be interested to see anyway is now that we've kind of at least partly moved through that and people are starting to recognize red meat, saturated fat, cholesterol as things that, that are really actually good for your health, then we can probably see a lot of these former studies um, kind of get pushed off a little bit in terms of like their efficacy within certainly an all-meat diet, but like a more or less a healthy ketogenic diet as well. Yeah, you know, when you hear the stuff that you guys put out too, you know, like the science behind it and the studies, I'm in favor of, you know, the meat diet and, and high fat. It, it, it just seems like common sense where, you know, some, some of the stuff you hear for the other side, it's just like, you, <laughs> you can't get your head around it. So, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a great guy giving secondhand information. I just know that when I hear it, for me, it makes sense. And that's the experience I've had with it as well. So, you know, I'm not someone who's going around telling everyone, oh, you got to do this, but, you know, hopefully they can find that out for themselves. But, um, yeah, that's very, that's very good. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, because, you know, and I, will, I will continue to maintain this position that we don't know everything we think we know. There's so much stuff we don't know. And so you have to start looking at what kind of results are occurring when people do things. And I think that's very important and very powerful. And you have people like, you know, yourself who's competing, you know, you know, at the highest level possible as an athlete is, is, is doing it successfully. And we have all kinds of, you know, people that are that are just, you know, having remarkable health changes by doing things that we were told in the past were, you know, the, the wrong thing to do. And it turns out that we were wrong about a lot of things. And I think it's. You know, one of the nice things about this this sort of 
access that we all have through social media. You know, like I'm here, we are talking to a guy on, on the other side of the planet, uh, you know, you know, live, something we couldn't have done, you know, not that, not that long ago. And so we're, we're all this giant group experience and, and we're, we're finding out rapidly, you know, we're doing these rapid sort of mass cultural experiences and experiments and we're finding out, you know, a lot of information and, and it's a quick way to do this stuff and we can kind of sort through all the you know kind of speculation and the guesses and some of it's uh, you know some of it's uh, quite frankly you know politically uh, you know motiv motivational stuff that's that's out there there's a lot of disinformation I think the ultimate thing is is results are what count and you know you can see in yourself pretty quickly you know we've, we've got people that are even afraid to believe in themselves they're like wait a minute I feel the best I've ever had, but then someone's telling, "Oh no, you're actually you're actually sick and you're actually dying because of, you know, the the, the, the epidemiology studies say you're going to die," and all of a sudden people are actually brainwashed up to believe that. And so it's really neat to see people kind of stepping away from that and, and and doing what works well for them. And it's not that everybody this particular scheme works well for everybody, but for certain people it seems to work extremely well. Uh, what's your, I know because I talked to you, your brother kind of contacted me a little bit and was talking about maybe messing around with it. Is he doing much of this? You know, Ben, is he, is he, is he eating more, is he eating some more steaks now or what's he up to? He is, yeah. He's, uh, he was sort of halfway during the season when I, you know, we talk on the phone once a week and I'm always banging on to him about how good, you know, eating steak is all the time and the results I've had with it and he's been a little bit cautious just because he's halfway, well, he's finished his rugby season now, but you know, making a drastic change from his diet, um, you know, while he's still playing. But I know his season's finished now and he has been eating, um, you know, sort of a more high-fat diet and stay for breakfast and stuff. And I haven't asked him uh, too, too much in depth how it's been going, but I know he is um, definitely making a change. I think when he talks to me every week and I uh, <laughs> talk to him about how great it is and, and all the rest of it, he's sort of, uh, yes, definitely leaning that way. And, uh, yeah, you know, who, who doesn't love steak? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, one yeah. of the kind of question I was curious about you, because, you know, given your, your kind of international competition and stuff, I'm sure you're no stranger to hopping on a long air, air flight um, to and from matches and stuff. Uh, and, you know, one thing I thought was really interesting in myself was when I first started kind of getting into ultra marathon running, you know, you kind of have this situation where after a race, uh, you would, you'd have swelling in your legs. Like it would be noticeable water retention, like swollen calves, quads, ankles and whatnot. And then another thing that would do that would be hopping on an airplane. Like I could, I could hop on an airplane even without a hard workout and I'd have some swelling in my legs. And then if you couple that with a race, it was like, you know, double dipping into this massive leg swelling. And when I first kind of started the kind of ketogenic diet, I noticed that that kind of reduced, um, but it didn't go away entirely. And then I, I kind of happened across this on accident when one time I was flying over, I think it was over to Europe, and I actually got sick on the flight heading out. Uh, so I like I, like I threw up a couple times on the flight, and then on the way back, I was terrified of that happening again. So I intentionally kind of fasted before that flight just so I wouldn't have anything in my stomach to throw up. And when I got back to the United States after that, I noticed for some reason there was no swelling in my legs. And this was after a race plus, I think, a 17-hour flight or something like that. So that started kind of making me wonder about like what role food and timing of food plays in that type of a response, that inflammation, swelling stuff. Um, and since then, I've played around with it a little bit. 
And the other thing I've noticed is like it wasn't it, at least at this point it didn't seem to be the necessarily the fast that was doing it, but it might have been what I was eating in conjunction with with the meat because since then I've tried this a couple times where I'll eat like a if I'm gonna have a flight anywhere, I'll have my last meal will be of just all meat, and then when I land to that next place I don't have any swelling in my ankles or my legs, which is you know you know a, a, a drastic difference than what I would have experienced previously. So like. Have you noticed anything like that? Because I'm sure you have plenty of opportunity to be sore and damage muscles and stuff from the types of workouts you're doing. Um, have you seen anything like that with your experience? Oh, you, you definitely notice when you get off the flight, you, you feel like crap, and it's uh, you know it's hard to walk for a while, and uh, especially if you're flying off the back of a rugby game. Uh, oh, that's interesting. Trying trying to fast, I'll have to uh, yeah, I'll have to give it, give that a go. Usually. Like at the moment, um, last week was the first week I've travelled since I've been on the carnivore diet, and it was the first time I've sort of uh, really used any weight. You know, obviously the plain foods pile of crap. So that's when I just took on a, a protein shake and just I had a really big meal beforehand, and then halfway through the flight, sort of down that, and then I wasn't even really that hungry when I got there, and just waited till we got to the hotel and had, had a really good feed. But uh, we're, we're pretty lucky when we travel long haul. We have you know, I think anything over four hours is business class and, um, you know, it's compulsory that you wear. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be hard when I retire because I'm, I'm so used to, to living the dream that I, I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to sit in the economy. But, yeah, it's compulsory. Everyone has um, good compression. Um, on the flight, you know, you're made to get up and stretch and, and all the rest of it. And then when we get there, you know, there's normal techs and things like that and we have massage as soon as we get to the hotel so we're, so we're looked after pretty well um, I imagine it would be a different story if we were you know sort of crammed into economy class and you know had, had none of those things at our, our disposal let me let me just two more questions hey just speaking of recovery do you guys play with I know there's it's kind of controversial with with things like cryotherapy like ice baths or those cryo, cryotherapy chambers or, or sauna does that play a part of your recovery and in, in the team's recovery at all is that is that kind of still going on has that been a fad did that work for people or what's been your experience with that yeah I've always uh, cryotherapy that's not really available in New Zealand I think it's quite quite big in Australia but um I've always felt really good after ice baths, especially hot and cold. Um, ice baths mixed mix with a hot plunge pool is, is probably the best for me. I know that some of the science says, uh, you know, ice baths aren't that great, but I think it's a bit of a mental thing for me as well. You know, you never want to get into icy water, so having the discipline to do that after a hard training, it's probably more of a, um, <laughs> a mental thing for more for me more than anything else, knowing that you're doing a little bit extra. Um but yeah, I definitely when you've had a hard training and you've been up, it definitely feels good to get in some cold water and, and hop out. And you know, I've got a normal tech at home that I get on um, every now and then, and a and a complex a muscle stim, a really good muscle stim machine. So you know, whether that stuff has a huge difference or not, uh, I'm not sure. But for me, it's all the one percenters that you know that could make a little difference, which is enough, uh, you know, to get any kind of edge. Yeah, I mean, at that level, one percent is huge. What do you do about what about sleep? How's your sleep? Do you, do you anything? Do you, do you cut out the, the you know the lights and uh, cool the room down, or how how do you go about sleep for recovery? Is that something that you guys concentrate on? Yeah, yeah, you know, as, as you know, uh, four kids, uh, <laughs> that's unreal. But even with the two kids, it's sort of um, you kind of get what you give them. But I do try to get to bed 
uh, reasonably early, sort of around nine nine o'clock, and, and read a book or, or just unwind for an hour before I get to sleep at ten. Um, if it is hot, I do have a cold shower because I really struggle to sleep when I'm when I'm hot. Um, that's the two main things. I sort of put my put my phone on flight mode about an hour before I go to bed, um, and, and that's usually pretty good. I find if I get two good hours sleep. Before midnight, sort of unbroken, I could get woken by the kids at three or four, and I'd, I'd still feel pretty good and get me through the day. Uh, if I get home early from training, sort of mid afternoon, try have a nap if, if, the, if the kids will allow. But um, yeah, uh, it, it works pretty well for me. Let me ask you this: I'm going to change gears a little bit. Let's, I'm going to talk about you know the mental game because. You know, at that high level, I mean, do you ever tell yourself, because I do this, because I'm in there doing these, these this stupid rowing stuff where I'm trying to break world records into rowing, and I, and, I, and I know the guys that have the records, and and to me, I just pretend those guys are evil. I, I, I hate them. I don't, they may be the nicest people in the world, but I like, this guy's an asshole, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him, just because I, there's, and, and you think in your mind you're the best guy in the world, and, and no one can beat you, and you, you try to, even if it's BS, you try to tell yourself that. How do you... I mean, do you have any rivals? Did you just say, "I'm just going to beat this guy because I know I'm better than him"? And you're going to, and you believe it. You know, there's self belief, and you, and to be at the world championship level, I think you have to believe in yourself. And do you, do you have anything that you tell yourself, or do you have a way of like demonizing your enemies just to, just to mentally lift your game? Yeah, I can definitely relate to thinking of yourself as something. You know, uh, it sounds arrogant, but uh, I think the mindset I've always had is you always believe that your body can get more than what others. Others can, and you think it's stronger. And you know, it's funny. You know, you'll turn up to the gym on Monday and, and do your squat or whatever, and you're always disappointed that you didn't do more because you 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 feel like you know you're so much stronger. And you're always thinking, man, I, I know this weight's going to come up. But um, yeah, so I can relate to that side of it. The the scrummaging part, uh, definitely. You know, you don't you don't want to like the guy you you scrum against because it's such a personal um, up close thing. You know. Um, and I actually really struggled when I had to play against my brother because uh, we get along really well. And even though it was super competitive, I really didn't like scrumming against him because you really, you, <laughs> you just want to grind the other guy into the ground. And, uh, you know, it really sucks every now and then when you finish the game and you get talking to the other guy. I mean, you know you've got to scrum against him soon. It's like, oh, shit, I know this guy now. <laughs> but you really, it's like you said, you really, you really want to hate him to, to give you that extra bit of... Um, a bit of motivation when you're scrumming against them, but yeah, no, the, the mental side, and um, as you guys both know, is huge, is massive, and it's um, it's been even bigger for me the last couple of years uh, dealing with that Achilles injury. Uh, one thing that was quite funny, you know, I was getting down to probably one training a week last year. Where I was actually on the field with the guys, and the rest was sort of just watching because, you know, I, I couldn't train. So that's when I really started to get into, like, uh, you know, doing mental reps in my head. When I still do without um, physically training, but going through through stuff in, in your head. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people uh, use some sort of meditation or some sort of, some kind of psychological tool to help with performance. I don't know, Zach, if you, if you – I mean, I'm sure you envision – long races and what you're going to do during this particular period you know what you want to do and you, you know that i mean there, there's studies that show if, if you rehearse these things in your mind it tends to play out that way and i'm sure you know as a rugby match is progressing you're, you're sitting there you know just kind of mentally thinking ahead of how, how things are going to play out and you know and even in the gym you know when i go to the gym when i'm driving to the gym 
my, I'm working out in my head. You know, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to go. And I try to, you know, stick to the plan. I think that, that that's beneficial. Yeah, you know, one thing I'll, I try to do quite a bit in my own training, this tends to help kind of pass the time a bit in the training since I'm spending so much time out there kind of doing those lower salon t- lower lower intensity like long runs is I'll try to like picture myself like where like accomplishing the goal I'm trying to get on the course I'm trying to train for so like if I'm going out for uh for say like a three hour run you know I might pretend during that run like that I'm doing that last three hours of a specific event that I'm training for and I'll like picture where I would be there and how I would be feeling if I'm actually nailing the race um, and just kind of visualizing that, and I do feel like when I kind of do a good job of that, then when it does come time to race, you almost feel like you've done it before. So even if it's something that you hadn't done before, you have these like points of contact in your training where you kind of mentally went through the repetitions. And um, I think in you know any sport, there's a huge mental component. And then with when you're you're running essentially all day for like a hundred mile race, you know that type of variable I think plays a huge role because you can essentially always push yourself a little harder, I think, and it's just a matter of limiting the amount of mental weakness that you kind of, when it comes up, you know, the more you can limit that, the better you're probably going to do. Yeah, yeah I've, I've always had a lot of respect for the, uh, for the endurance guys because, uh, you know, rugby game lasts 80 minutes and sometimes you're 40 or 50 minutes in and you, it, it can be really hard at times to stay disciplined and think, I'm not going to look at the clock, I'm just going to focus on every play and, you know, your mind just wants to wander and for you guys to do that for hours on end, you know, to stay, stay focused is, uh, is a huge, uh, huge mental feat, feat, I reckon. So, um, yeah, it, it, for me, it's important to, you know, I, a lot of guys will say don't play the game out, you hit them up before the game and stuff, but it's, for me, it's sort of like disciplined, um, how I'm going to see the game go, I'll imagine good things and try try imagine some things that could potentially go wrong and how I'm going to react and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. How, oh, when did you start playing? Do you start playing like when you were four years old or something like that? How old when did you start playing rugby? Yeah, pretty, pretty much as you know, rugby is sort of probably the biggest religion in New Zealand. I'm just finding that out for myself. At the moment, my three-year-old son, he's, uh, I don't even know how because I don't push, him, push it on him at all, but he's uh He's bloody obsessed with it. He's got to wear his rugby jersey as soon as he gets up. We've got to put his rugby boots on. You know, he's got to be outside kicking the ball. <laughs> I suppose I was the same. You know, I started playing when I was, yeah, four or five years old. And uh, from all accounts, I don't think I was very good. I think uh, I used to tackle my own teammates. And uh, I think tackling was my thing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they've been playing it for a long time. Yeah, that was one thing One thing I noticed when I, when I lived there and played. You know, I came from the U.S. where – no one really knows anything about rugby. And then I got to New Zealand, I was playing, and I remember I would have, I mean, little old ladies' grandmas would be telling me what I did wrong in the line-out, you know. And that's like, I mean, it is, it is culturally ingrained in New Zealand. Everybody knows about rugby. So it's it's really, yeah. really it is, it's really the national religion, I think. And so it's really it's funny. amazing. Yeah, you, get, you get reviewed on your game probably six or seven times. You know, you you finish the game, you have your own tape that you watch. So you're pretty well aware of what you did wrong. And then you've got your position coaches, and then you might get hit up in a meeting again, and then you got your family who noticed, and <laughs> yeah, then you got people on the street who tell you as well. So yeah, you have to have a pretty, um, pretty thick skin. In the states, they call that Monday morning quarterbacks, right? Isn't that the thing for, for American? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I think it's called armchair critics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the the other thing I'm kind of interested about with 
with rugby too, and I'd love to hear what you have to say or what you've seen with the culture is like here, here in the U S like the big knock currently on American football is the amount of injuries and the toll it's taking on these guys' bodies throughout the course of their career. And the one that's kind of really come up the last few years is the concussion injuries. And it seems like there's at least something to be said about the fact that in American football, they have all these pads and helmets and stuff that kind of more or less can be turned into weapons. You know, you can collide a lot faster with a person if you've got a helmet on or you perceive that you have this protection on. So sometimes you get some more jarring hits potentially. And with rugby, since you're not really wearing pads, do you notice that it's just like a little like do the head injuries not occur as much because people are more cognizant about they have to protect that as opposed to like I have a helmet on I can ram it right into somebody uh, yeah I think uh, you know you definitely still get the head knocks uh, because like Sean said at the start you know just the impact um, of what you're traveling into a guy you know even if your head's in the right position it's still you can still get some whiplash and things like that and then you've got the, the uncontrolled side of it where you know, you've got to make a decision in a split second and you haven't got enough time to think about great technique. Um, and on the other side, I can see, you know, when you watch football and you see some of the tackling techniques, it's like, uh, you know, <laughs> it's 100% aggression and zero uh, zero technique. It's just I'm going to try to level this guy uh, with my helmet. So I guess if they did take away the helmet, um, it would have to be a pretty big process. I think they would have to retrain guys how to, um, tackle safely and how to you know because that's got to be intuition not just uh, I'm going to absolutely smash a guy and if you took the helmets away straight away I'd say you'd probably get some worse injuries because they're used to tackling this way for so long that they'll probably end up you know freaking breaking necks or whatever but um, you know I, th I think <laughs> the whole concussion issue I think it's good that, for the awareness and, and good that guys are aware that um you know, if you get a head knock and you play again soon, you're going to do some pretty decent damage. But on the other hand, you know, you kind of know what you're in for. You you, you play it your whole life growing up. And um, for a lot of guys, if you didn't play sport or, you know, didn't have somewhere to channel that aggression, what else would you be doing? Um, and, you, you know, kind of like what Sean said at the start, you know, there's, there's something inside guys that like being physical and um, being aggressive that you just want to that's what you love doing you love competing you love being aggressive and you know I think there's a lot of people saying oh they're getting injured and uh, you know do you want to get your kids into it but you know it, it, it's kind of hardwired in there and uh, <clears throat> you know there's a lot of great things you can take out of team sports that you can apply to, 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 to the rest of your life so yeah, uh, yeah. On the whole, I think it's good that there's awareness, but you know, don't don't change things too much because it gives gives a lot of kids um, a positive outlet to sort of sort of get that aggression out and um, you know play a team sport. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely the quality of life side of things as well. If you just kind of live live through life with just this big safety blanket around you the entire time, like then what's the point? So. Um, you, you know, I'm also kind of interested too that what will come out in terms of where nutrition and diet plays a role in some of that stuff, especially since a lot of the side effects with concussions tend to be like, you know, down the road. There's obviously the immediate side effects or impact of the, of the injury itself. But then, you know, when you see people like dying earlier, you know, the, the pay or the, the repercussions tend to be down the road. And I wonder what role some of this stuff with just poor nutrition or uh, plays in, in just like kind of the 
the acceleration of that type of a problem, like the, the CTE stuff and um, anything else that's kind of going on there too. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to maybe see how that kind of rolls out as we get, dive deeper into that sort of thing. I think uh, when we had Tucker on, I'm not sure it was on the podcast or talking to him outside, I think there's been some evidence that things like, you know, the refined seed oils have an effect on, you know, things like CTE or post-traumatic brain injury. And so there may be a, a bigger role for diet for that stuff than we think. Hey, uh, and I agree with Owen. I mean, I think, you know, you, you have this hardwired desire to, to just compete and, you know, some people have it and you just want to keep it, you know, and, and, you know, you know, there are certainly days where I miss, miss the fact that I used to be able to run into people and smash them over because there's a lot of people I'd like to do that to, but, you know, you, you know, in polite side, you can't, you can't kind of do that. What do you, what, what is your thought? I mean, I, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll stay healthy, you know, you'll, you'll turn it, you'll, you know, this carnivore diet will make you even more of a monster than you already were. And you'll be in the, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, the 2019 world cup and you guys will dominate there, but what, what's going to happen for you? Five, ten years down the road, what are you projecting is going to go on, you know, once, once rugby's over? Do you have any thoughts on, on where your life's going to go? Yeah, um, I don't have a sort of a set plan for when, when my career ends, but I was sort of lucky with that seven-month layoff. I had some time to really think, um, well, come to the realisation that, you know, this doesn't last forever and that... Um, you know, I'll probably have to start thinking that way a little more, but it also gave me a huge hunger and drive to sort of kick on the second part of my career and sort of, um, you know, realise how good this life is and, and try and make the most of it. So I've been working really hard to try, um, uh, you know, make sure I make the most of this, this second chance, I suppose, to kick on. And, um, you know, I hope I'm still playing in five or six years and in better shape than I am now. Um, as far as what will happen when it, when I'm finished, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Um, me and my brother, we've got a couple of gyms in Christchurch, so we might be able to go down that avenue. And also, um, you know, we're both pretty passionate about scrummaging, so hopefully we can uh, – scrummaging and strength and conditioning, which goes hand in hand, so hopefully we can do something down that avenue. But, yeah, yeah, we'll see. The, the me, I guess the, the short-term goal is the <clears throat> 2019 Rugby World Cup. Um, hopefully get there and um, – one another one with the All Blacks would be unreal. So yeah. All right. Uh, hey Zach, anything else? Give. You know, it's been great. It's Owen talking. Owen, how do we? How does people reach? You know, what's your what's your contact information if people want to kind of see what's going on with you? I know you got Instagram and probably some other ways to get a hold of you. What's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, probably Instagram's the main one. Um, it's the one I'm. <laughs> I'm not great with social media, but it's, it's the one I'm most active on. So I think it might. My Instagram name's just Owen.Frank, so yeah, hit me up on there. All right, folks, yeah, definitely go give Owen a follow. I'm sure he'll have uh, some exciting stuff coming down um, on the rugby front as well as nutrition stuff. But yeah, it was it was awesome to have you on, Owen. It was uh, uh, really informative, and I'm sure our, our audience will love to hear your, your story and kind of your, uh, your way of life. No, thanks for having me on, guys, and... Uh, Thanks, Sean, for your information on the the carnivore diet. It's been a um, yeah, it's, it's been a huge huge help for me. So I appreciate all the, the good info you put out there. Well, let me know. Uh, let me know when the rest of the All Blacks adopt a diet. It'll be kind of cool to. See. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that point, yeah, they'll have to bring Sean in to be the like lead nutritionist, I suppose, right? Just give yeah. everybody the yeah. easiest yeah. job on earth. Eat this stick and eat that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. The last game I played actually had a had a one kilo um, T bone. <laughs> well, before the game, it, it's uh, <laughs> actually a really good game, so it might be a tradition from now on. <laughs> nice, 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 awesome, good stuff. All right, well, man. Yeah.
Well, we got to, you know, like I said, Zach and I were waiting to, you know, we were both on Joe Rogan's show. We're waiting to get our, our float tank. So we got to make this uh, this uh, <laughs> podcast successful. So. <laughs> our own yeah, archery range and all that stuff. All right, cool. <laughs> all right, cheers, guys. All right, thanks. Take, Take care. Get you. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at hpopodcast at gmail.com. That's hpopodcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me at zbitter. That's at Z-B-I-T-T-E-R. And you can find Sean at sbakermd. That's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram where you can find me at Zach Bitter, that's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at Sean Baker, 1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R, 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast.